Welcome to my humble podcast called Psychology Concepts Explained. This is Dr. Jack Chuang. I'm a psychology professor. Been teaching full time uh, since the year 2000. Then took a break in 2010, and uh, we traveled the world a bit, uh, mostly in Southeast Asia and other Asian countries. Um, and at that time, I was uh, basically an online adjunct instructor. So that's what I do now. I teach only online courses. And it turns out my occupation is pandemic proof. I had no idea. Well, I started this new podcast channel back in April of 2020 during the pandemic. And I've stated before that I normally record lectures for my classes you know, as audio files and just put them in the class and never made them public, but now they're, I've decided to put them out there to see if other people may benefit. And over time, I'm getting increasingly more and more emails or direct messages on Twitter from listeners, and I really appreciate them. And so this podcast today is in direct response to one listener who's based in India, so you know who you are, and the topic came up about the stigma of mental illness in her country. And having studied counseling psychology in depth, that is my major, my doctorate degree is in counseling psychology, we studied this aspect of and the issue of this negative stigma. So what do I mean by that? It's this negative association or negative attitude, the general perception that uh, someone who's suffering from a mental illness will receive by other people in a negative sense, right? Because of the lack of understanding. Remember how we as a society evolved over time with regards our, to our attitudes towards addiction, right? We went from thinking that addiction was about personal weakness, a character flaw, a person who lacks willpower, to understanding that it's a disease. So if you look in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, it's the booklet of mental disorders, you will see addictions substance disorders in the book, right? So it is a disease. It's classified as a disease that requires treatment. And you're seeing laws change in local and national governments, depending on the country, to decriminalize drug use or people with addictions or caught in possession of certain types of drugs and push more toward a treatment modality, okay, or framework. And so you can see that the stigma of drug use or being an addict has changed over time. That's the same kind of trajectory we're seeing with mental illness. I think with certain talk shows and, and even film and television shows depicting people suffering from mental illness in a genuine way, right? Not so much in a uh, glamorized sense, such as an evil villain uh, 
who has uh, dissociative identity disorder, right? Different identities living in their head and all that, just to gl- just to create an interesting character. Uh, we have, as a society, a, a bit of a improvement in our understanding of mental illness. People talk about anxiety and depression and a medication they may be taking for it much more openly than 20, 30 years ago when it was something you would not readily share with anyone in fear of reprisal, that you might be fired from your job or rejected by a friend, etc. Okay, It was something that was shameful. Now, we still have a long way to go because you can imagine, if you think about your own situation, would you be able to admit to yourself that you're in a situation that you could use some professional assistance, use some therapy or counseling? So if you are hesitant in seeking help, you may have Googled it and you kind of know what resources are out there, but you're not quite ready to make that call. You know, why is that? Does stigma play a part in that? The fear of what other people may think or just the fear of the unknown? Or is it admitting that you do have a personal weakness or that you're quote-unquote crazy, right? So going back to the listener who's based in India, in Asia in general, the notion of mental illness carries along with it a very heavy association with a negative stigma. So the reason I know this is not just because I'm Asian-American and I've lived in Asia and grew up partly there, but also that while in Houston, as a graduate student, I participated in the development of that city's first Asian-American-centric mental health center. It was called Asian-American Family Counseling Center. And then the name evolved to... AAFS, I believe, Asian American Family Services. And the idea was that Asian Americans in this particular city were underserved by the mental health system. People generally did not seek counseling, and when they did, it was only when problems have gotten much worse because the tendency is to keep it within the family, whatever disorder somebody had. It was something that was would bring about shame to the family if you went to seek help outside the family. Whereas medical illnesses, non-psychiatric illnesses, let's put it that way, did not carry that kind of stigma. You have stomach pain, you make a doctor with your appointment with your doctor, right? You have some neck pain, right? You see a specialist. But there seems to be a stigma about what happens from the neck up that's going on inside our mind, right? And so when the center was developed, they started recruiting from graduate school, master's level counselors who were bilingual, speak different Asian languages, right, that could help serve the community. And it did very well for a while. So if someone, the listener who told me that in their community, 
You know, there's a really strong negative stigma, and often people commit suicide before they're willing to seek any kind of help. And they may be in an environment where the kind of help that we think is available here in a Western country may not be available there. If you think about psychology, its roots is in Western culture, right? The very first psychology laboratory was developed by a German. So, and one of the famous theorists was Austrian, right, Sigmund Freud. So what we tend to think of as psychology studied at the college level, at the graduate level and all that, it's really Western psychology. And even though it's Western psychology, think about how many decades it took before we're at this point now where we have a better understanding, less of a barrier to get help, feeling less shame about having a disorder and being treated for it. So what would it be like to be in a place where you know those kinds of support systems and the infrastructure for it and the just the acceptance in society is not there? So when I looked into my list of podcast ideas, subjects, I wrote this down, you know, how does someone overcome the stigma? And what can you do if you feel like you need to talk to someone, but there's just the availability of the resources just aren't there? And right below that topic, I wrote down, it just happened to be in my list, self-care topics. So it seemed like it made sense to just combine the two and talk about all that. One of the things that, one of the main themes that I keep in mind back when I was a clinician trainee, and I think about that now, if I ever talk to people or just think about situations in terms of stress reduction, is that, is the notion of control. And you've probably heard many people talking about this. There's so many things we worry about, stress over, but in reality, they're out of our control. So if you live in a place where there's just no mental health system to speak of, it's not recognized, there are no practitioners, the only availability is a doctor, and there might be severe consequences and shame by the family, if discovered or talked about, right? Well, you can't control all of those things. If you have a recognition and a better understanding than everyone around you, then that's where taking care of oneself really is a primary uh, goal and focus. We're not going to be able to change everyone's mind around us. This is one of the reasons why I shifted away from being a clinician to being an educator while I was doing both at the same time, going through graduate school and teaching at a community college. I didn't realize that the teaching at a community college, which I thought was just a part-time thing to get me through, to get my degree to be a clinician, would end up being my preferred choice of occupation.
because I felt that each semester or each quarter I'm reaching hundreds of students who are taking Psychology 100, the very first psychology class in the college level. And these are fresh brains coming into my class without a clue about the, what the field of psychology is about. And I get to introduce to them all of these amazing concepts, but also the notion about mental illness and the stigma and that there is no shame in getting help and that help is available, right? So creating that awareness, I wouldn't be able to reach hundreds of people in a three-month period as a clinician. Maybe if I were an adjunct instructor while being a clinician full-time, yeah, okay, maybe. But I decided to devote my career to teaching psychology rather than practicing psychology. Okay, so back to self-care, right? So if you're listening in an environment where you're lucky enough to have a job still that comes with insurance, that comes with behavioral health care, where you just need to pay a copay maybe to see a counselor per session, you have a choice of therapists, then you're really lucky. You have that support infrastructure in place. For someone who does not, who is an environment where now with the internet you know what goes on in other countries and cultures and what's there and what you don't have, then that's a that's a difficult thing. So what can you do? Hello, friends. Let me take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Let me talk to you a little bit about searching for happiness or trying to achieve goals. And oftentimes, life and circumstances and other reasons get in the way. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with your therapist within 48 hours. And it's not a crisis hotline, okay? And it's not self-help. It's actual professional counseling, but it's done securely online. You have access to BetterHelp's network of over 20,000 counselors with a wide variety of expertise and training. And this is also about accessibility. If you don't have a counselor in your area to see in person, then this could be a great solution for you. So this service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. So again, accessibility. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as in traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and they make it easy and free if you want to change counselors if necessary. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com slash Psych Explained. 
and join the over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced mental health professionals. And there's a special offer for my Psychology Concepts Explained listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash psychexplained. You can see the link in the show notes. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. One suggestion that many therapists give to their clients is to write a journal. And I've been writing a journal as well for a variety of reasons. And I think it's good to keep a wellness journal to talk about your thoughts. And really, if you think about it, what a therapist does, it's their their role is almost like they're a journal in human form. They're reflecting back your own thoughts about certain situations and your own feelings and emotions about things. So when you write this down in an app or on paper, in a book, and then you look it over again a year from now, it can be very powerful. It could be very powerful to see what's going on in your head on paper. Oftentimes we feel overwhelmed because feeling overwhelmed is an emotion. A lot of anxiety. When we're full of emotion, we lose objectivity. Right? We lose a little bit of logic. And so when we write down all these things that are going on in our head, and then we can look at it in a very concrete way. Okay, that took up a page. That was half a page of things. And it doesn't mean the problems have gone away, but you can start to prioritize or categorize, compartmentalize all these eyes <laughs> of your list, your whole paragraph of things that are going on. And then you can pick and choose. Well, what kinds of things are within my control? What kinds of things are out of my control? that I cannot really spend too much energy worrying about if it's not something I can directly control. And oftentimes our anxiety about something is amplified, right? Much stronger or more intense than whatever that actual event might be. Let me give you a very current example that just happened today. So I can talk about this because I know the people involved won't listen to my podcast. <laughs> I think each podcast I mention something like that. Sooner or later, they're going to catch on. So my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they're trying to sign up to get the COVID vaccine. And here in the States, getting that rolled out has been fairly disorganized. I don't really blame anyone at any level of government for this because it's... It's a novel situation. They're learning as they go. They may have had a plan on paper, but, you know, implementing the plan, these vaccines are new, they need to be stored at a certain temperature, all of these complications, right? It's called logistics. That's why they call it logistics. And, but given the personalities involved, and I'll, I'll try not to be disrespectful here, and I'm sure you all are going, oh, this is juicy. No, no, no. 
Okay, my father-in-law can be very impatient. And this goes directly to the point of control. Because there's so many things that are unpredictable and unknown, you know, it's not business as usual where you know that when you call a doctor's office to make an appointment, this is going to happen, right? All these five steps. Well, we don't know what the five steps are going to be. And so he becomes very short-tempered and upset because the anxiety is taking over, right? He follows this one website he saw from a news story, and then, you know, oh, you can't, uh, you can't make an appointment. You have to be invited. Or you have to be a member of that hospital to be invited. So you just have to wait for a phone call. And so this ambiguity, this unknown future, to him, and I imagine to a lot of people who are feeling a sense of urgency of wanting to get the vaccination, um, seeing that, oh, maybe this is the light at the end of the tunnel, he just lost it, okay? And the dynamic of the three of them, my wife went over, we're staying in a separate house nearby, and she went over, and there's so much chaos. And and really, if we were to write down the whole issue on paper, it wouldn't have looked like an impossible task or reason for three people to go off the deep end and have a big argument. So if I were to redirect him and and I'm not saying I do therapy on my family or anything like that but in my opinion if he were to try to focus on the steps that he can control and realize that it's out of his hands after that. And not everyone can deal with that kind of situation if they're used to having a sense of control. And and I can pretty clearly see that it's the anxiety that sort of pushed him over the edge, just the, the eagerness to want to get this over with. But in reality, we all know that to achieve a certain level of herd immunity, this is going to take many, many, many months before we can return to any semblance of normality. And it doesn't help that we have friends who live in countries like Thailand and Taiwan and and they're out there doing stuff, you know, normal stuff having group photos, celebrating birthdays. Because in their particular environment, COVID is pretty much under control. Taiwan had a total of less than 10 deaths from beginning till now from COVID. They're not an island nation of 2,000 people. There are millions of people living there in very dense urban environments. And there are rocks throw to China. Well, okay, that's a pretty strong arm to throw a rock from Taiwan to China, but you know what I mean? It's not far. All right, I don't want to go into that. Let's go back to the idea of stigma. And so regardless of where you are and what your situation is, 
and what kind of resources are there available to you. The idea is that we all need to focus on our own mental health and do what's best for us. And the old, the old saying that you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others, that's really true. If you're burned out and you have responsibilities to help take care of other people, whether it's to provide income or to help around the house or to raise children, then you have that responsibility to take care of yourself. And we're not robots. We're not perfect. We cannot just turn off these emotions and these anxieties. But having this, having a ritual, if you have no support system, to be able to write something down every day. Okay. Remember something I talked about in a previous podcast was that, you know, we have 24 hours in a day. Let's say you sleep seven hours. So you subtract that. And then certain hours you have to do certain activities. Then the rest of the time is really what you make of it. So instead of filling those hours with worry and anxiety, it's not to just do busy work, right? But to divert yourself to do things that are more positive and healthy. So also, it doesn't help that my father-in-law is retired, 82. It's a bit colder, so he's not outside gardening as he normally does. Spending more time outside. So being cooped up with only a television to keep yourself company gives you a lot of time to worry. And right now, and he likes to watch the news, so that doesn't help with all the stuff that's going on. So for someone like him or someone in a similar situation is, what can I do in the next 30 minutes that is more proactive, more productive, whether it's reading a book, listening to music. And so I think one way technology can help these days in maintaining our mental health is that we have access to a lot of stuff now. There's tons of things to read. There are great YouTube channels where you can just veg out, find a channel that plays a certain style of relaxing music with a nice image or animation, and it'll play for three to four hours. <laughs> right? Those are pretty nice. We discovered those a couple weeks ago. Um, my daughter would put those on. And it's like, oh, that's nice. Look, it's snowfall, and there's like Christmas and holiday music playing. And it was pretty cool. So there are ways to do that, short of having to see a mental health professional if a mental health professional is not available to you. So I don't really have a lot of great answers for my listener in India when you're in that kind of environment, or if you're in any country or environment or culture where traditional, well, I guess, Western-style mental health treatment is not available. And also, when we talk about friends, I know social media does have this negative effect of 
looking at people who have large numbers of friends like on Facebook or followers on Twitter and all that is that in reality you just need one okay you just need one person you can communicate with and my daughter's done a good job of this we've homeschooled her we traveled a lot so not being in one place for very long makes it hard to develop face-to-face friendships Um, but she has one (laughs) And they get along really well, and they communicate a lot. They talk over the phone. You remember what that's like, right? Talking, actually talking to someone over the phone. She does that with video calls. And she actually has pen pals. And I didn't know this, but pen paling is like, or what they call journaling, is a huge thing now. There's a lot of art involved and calligraphy, and and you pack a lot of stuff in there, and you mail it to each other, and... it's like exchanging art. So for my friend in India, if you want a pen pal, I can volunteer my daughter if you want to do that. Um, but you can also find them online, you know, in different variety of communities. So that could be something to look forward to. And that would be kind of cool, actually, to, to get something in the mail from India. It might take a while, but you can have others that are maybe closer to you that you can try. All right, so you can tell this was not the most prepared podcast. I just had an idea, and I turned on the microphone. And I recently discovered through Twitter that, thank you to Anchor for showing me this uh, video from NPR about voice training. So I'm going to practice a lot of that, breathing exercises, so that I can sound better on my podcast. I wish I had the voice of my best friend in college. His name was Liren. He unfortunately passed away at the age of 44. So that was quite a while ago. Um, He had, this is pre-podcast era, he had the best radio voice. And we were part of a college student radio station in Austin when we were in school. And I remember... He just dragged me to it, right? Um, And the Asian Culture Committee, I think it was called at the time, had a one-hour show that we did per week, or I forgot how many times a week, but and (laughs) no one really listened to it. It wasn't a real radio station. It was a radio station through cable. So I don't know how people could listen to it, but um, yeah, I would have a portable microphone and interview people and he would be one of the anchors and he had the best voice. Like it was really deep. But and that voice was it was there all the time. I mean, it wasn't like something he had to flip a switch because he knew he was on the radio and then he spoke a different voice. That was just his voice and all of us were really impressed by it. It's like, wow, you have the great voice. It was very bassy, right? And even when I spoke to him on the phone, his voice, his lower frequencies were so powerful that it would shake loose earwax in my ear. I'm like, dude, you got to tone that down a bit. And he wasn't shouting. It was just his natural tone. I loved going to see movies with him back in the day, but then the downside was that he likes to talk during the movie and he doesn't have a whisper mode. Right? Some people can get away with whispering during a film. He can't. His whisper is like my normal talking voice. Hey, Jack, you know that actor was in the... You know, I was like, oh, man, dude, shut up. 
And he does didn't have that self-awareness to realize that his voice carries that well. Okay. It's late. I better be grading some papers now. Okay, folks, I will talk to you in a future podcast. Please send me more ideas for um, future podcast uh, subjects. And just want to say hello to my uh, new friend in India and hope you're doing well and take care. And I'll talk to you later. Hey there, thanks for listening to this podcast today. Can you do me a big favor? Um, Just so that this podcast gets heard by more students of psychology and other people interested in the field, uh, go to Apple Podcasts and put a little rating there if you like and uh, a brief uh, review, okay? And you can also contact me directly using the links in the description, whether it's Twitter or email, with any suggestions or feedback that you may have to make the show better. And uh, if there are any topics you want me to talk about, I can add them. And if you want to support me by buying me a coffee, the methods are listed in the description as well. Again, thanks and have a great day.